Hey, we just want to briefly uh, mention uh, as we get going here, if you have your cell phone, just double check that make sure it's in the silent mode and uh, you're not talking to Aunt Melba during our uh, time together. That would be nice. And then afterwards, uh, just to let you know in advance, you might have come with the expectation to talk with Dr. Tenpenny, and she needs to leave right afterwards, but uh, we'll be talking about at the end um, the uh, launch of her, her new adventure, her clinic in Ventura, and talk to you about that, and there will be opportunities for you to interact with her at that time so that I can take care of that in advance so we don't have a rush for her at the end as we're getting her out the door. She's had a long day. Well, we want to briefly mention as we start our time together, this Liberty series, Liberty and Healing with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, we really want to focus when she comes up about the healing that happens afterwards for those who are experiencing back vaccine injuries, um, those who are having long COVID effects, and her approach to that. Because just to rehearse a little bit about this series and partnering with Amy Bond, and once again, I want to thank her for putting these things together. They would not be happening without uh, Perks organization and just the wonderful work they're doing. And Amy is going to bring you up to date on their current fights, because uh, she's a scrapper, and what's going on currently. I'm going to rehearse just a little bit that brought us to this place because everybody's had COVID fatigue and yet after the fact what happens is this slowly dissipates. There's a danger that people will forget what the medical establishment, what big pharma and what the government has done. So we need to be uh, attentive because I just mentioned 10 thoughts to briefly go through before Amy comes up. And the first is, as a pastor, uh, Pastor Rob, standing in this um, public square and myself, we really want to be a voice in our community for truth. You know, Jesus told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth brings liberty, whereas lies bring bondage and oppression. And we are coming out the other end of a time of unprecedented oppression in not only our own country, but we observed around the world. Now, 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Every pastor, every church from our perspective should be standing up in their community and speaking truth as a lighthouse to their community of darkness because nobody else is touching it. Big media is not touching it. Politicians are not touching it. Uh, you're, the medical professionals were not touching it because their careers were at risk. But here's just briefly where we're at. Not to... Uh, kick a dead horse, but just to think about what we've come through and not to quickly forget. Number one, Dr. Fauci and the NIH partnered with the Chinese laboratory for gain-of-function research to increase the lethal effects of coronavirus. We know that to be a fact. Number two, the coronavirus is released into the world accidentally or purposefully from the Chinese laboratory. True. Now, we've been conspiracy theorists for two years from everybody's perspective, but, you know, it only takes a few months. Yesterday was conspiracy as today's truth in this new, weird, uh, oppressive machine of lies. Number three, Dr. Fauci conspires with research scientists to cover up the origin of the coronavirus. Once again, well, I got to, there you go. You guys just do the truth. <laughs> Number four, however, this coronavirus is not more dangerous than the common flu unless you have comorbidities. 
The only true matters right now is when I have a doctor on the front row, if she doesn't say true, I'm kind of in trouble. But I'm a pastor, so I'm not held to medical you know, definitions. I'm just seeing the big picture, and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but any third grader can figure out what we're going on. Uh, Number five, Dr. Fauci and a team of medical experts misrepresent the severity of the coronavirus and convince President Trump to shut down the U.S. for two weeks to slow the curve. Number six, two weeks turns into two years of unprecedented, unscientific government tyranny around the world through quarantining, masking, social distancing, school closures, business closures, crushing the global economy and emotionally devastating humanity. True. Number seven, beyond all other coercive measures, they now demanded that citizens be forced to take an experimental mRNA vaccine without known side effects if they wanted to participate in the new world of medical apartheid, if they wanted to go to school, go to work, go to public events, travel internationally. Unbelievable. It's hard to say true at the end of some of these things because I'm like, no, it's unbelievable. Like, that would never happen in America. People would stand up and resist, but it's true. Number eight, while enforcing these ineffective measures, they were suppressing safe, proven, effective protocols such as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Number nine, we discovered through courageous medical heroes who risked their careers to tell us the truth, masks don't work, quarantine doesn't work, vaccines don't work, natural immunity and herd immunity works, if they would have focused on people who were at high risk with comorbidities and left 99% of us alone, the entire world would have been just fine. True. <clears throat> Number 10. Now the collateral damage of vaccinated people is becoming obvious for anyone who is oriented towards truth and reality. While Big Pharma explodes with financial profits without any responsibility for the vaccine-damaged lives they've injured and sad, sudden adult death syndrome becomes a new category of death statistics never known before the corona nightmare of 2020 to 22. Unbelievable now that you're seeing these things. It doesn't, I mean, how many of you know somebody that after they were vaccinated had problems? Raise your hand. Like the entire room, right? It's, everybody, uh, my wife goes in and gets a, a facial and the gal's like, you know, I got the vaccine two weeks ago and my entire left arm just turned numb. And I went to my doctor, I mean, here's a, you know, lady, 45 years old, and my whole left arm from my wrist up to my shoulder turned numb and I went to my doctor and said, hey, my arm's numb. I, it's like I can't feel it. I mean, it works, but I can't feel it. And, the doc, and she says, the only thing that's changed in my life is I got the vaccine. Oh, that's not it. That's right. The only new thing that was introduced in her life. And so now there's neurological damage to her arm to where she can't feel her arm. You can't just like just, <laughs> these things are, are, are so amazing that we have this new category, sudden adult death syndrome. You've got to, that just, just arrived here in this period of time. This is the greatest evil forced upon humanity since the megalomaniac Adolf Hitler walked the earth and dreamed of being the king of the world. The tyrants of today walk around in lab coats and describe themselves as science himself. The mental disorder of megalomania is still a problem. 
people that want to think they're God on planet Earth. Now, the elephant in the room begs the most obvious question, what do we do now if we've been vaccinated? What do we do now? And that's what this event is going to focus on, the healing part of everything that we've just come through and why Amy wanted Dr. Tenpenny to come. And that's what she's been focusing on. I remember in the early days of COVID, when Dr. Tenpenny started putting out information, I started getting information from it, but then I always had to double check. So I'm like, hey, anybody know who this Dr. Tenpenny is, right? Because you're not sure who to trust anymore. We've lost total faith in the medical community. People won't, you know, your, your medical prof professional that you trusted for 20 years as your, your family physician is now lying to you or believes the delusion themselves. It's unbelievable the state of where we're at today. And if we forget what has happened in the last two years, we will not stand up when it begins to happen again. Our hope and our prayer is that some of this research is gonna come out and finally come into the open because the truth sets you free for those who have been oppressed and the truth will put some, hopefully, behind bars. <laughs> well, the president of Perk, and I want you to, so that I'll mention it at the end also, they have a table out here. It's, uh, you want to support organizations that are litigating, that are putting on special events like this, because Perk is doing a great work. And Amy's going to share with you what's been going on. But there's a lot of people that threw their hat in the ring to fight certain tyrannical measures through the last two or three years. But most of them, honestly, have been very ineffective. Like they raise money and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> not very much, <laughs> right? But they're, they're on the horse. And, and I want you to know that Perk is not that way. They have legitimate wins. And the Lord has blessed them. And really, in a sense, the Lord put in Amy's heart in 2019 to be a part with a group of ladies. I mean, Amy's not alone. She, she'll mention her own team members, but she's the president of Perk. That they saw what was coming and they were organized. So when all this happened, they were in that space to step up. And that's, that's God's grace in advance, even when you don't know. I mean, it was bad enough before all this, she was going to stand for things. And now it's like bad on steroids in a, a more major way. And so uh, the flyers for Dr. Tinpenny's uh, clinic opening are also out there. If you're interested, Saturday the 11th, going to be a special event. We encourage you. We have asked every medical professional that's come here that is in practicing medicine to please open a clinic here. So please thank Dr. Tenpenny. She's the, she's a, yeah. <laughs> we want some help and we're in California where it's hard to get it. <laughs> so with no further ado, please welcome Amy Vaughn, the president of PERC, to give you an update on the things they're engaged in fighting for. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Okay, guys, this is the first time I've used this beautiful like microphone that's on my head because I talk and walk and do things at the same time, and now I don't have to hold a microphone. But I have to hold a clicker. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. This is so exciting. Yes, are you happy? 
You guys, I am so thrilled that we get to host these events here at Godspeak Church. They have been an amazing partner in bringing these Liberty Series with these just incredible experts from across the country. So thank you to Godspeak and their team for all of you guys. The work that goes into this, it takes like six weeks for this to happen. So thank you to Godspeak and the team. I also want to thank the Perk team. They have done an amazing job to get this to happen tonight. The volunteers, my staff, and then I also would like to to thank Dr. Tenpenny and her team for all the work they've done to make this happen tonight. And Dr. Tenpenny herself, you guys, to have this type of warrior and giant here We were talking about this just a few minutes ago, but she has been a part of this movement before probably most of us were awake. So what does it take for a woman like this of faith, of courage, of tenacity to pave the path and pave the way for us to be here when it was our timeline to wake up? We just want to honor you, Dr. Tenpenny, and just tell you that we love you, we're listening, we're awake, And the world is blessed by you, really. And also, we cannot, uh, we have to honor Dr. Judy Mikovits, too. Please, will you stand? (laughs) Good way. She's in a hat. If you don't know who Dr. Judy is, please ask somebody next to you. She's, she, just like Dr. Tenpenny, has paved a path for all of us, and we are so, so grateful for you. I also want to thank, um, I have special donors and guests here tonight, too. One of my advisory board for PERC, these are the people that are the wind beneath our wings to put gas in the tank to help us do this work for you. So I want to thank them, too, tonight. And last but not least, to represent my family, my husband's out of town tonight in San Diego, and our son Kyle, who's a high schooler here in Thousand Oaks, is here. He's my son. I love him. He has to constantly put up with all the conversations in the house about everything, so really, he deserves two round of applause, you guys. (laughs) Now, I want to make sure that as I, t- I, like, I have a lot of really good news tonight. I actually do. So there's some bad things. It's California. You can't have California without a few bad things, right? But we also have some good news. So let's start with the bad, no, we'll start with the good news first. So, right? Good news first? Okay. Bad news first? Well, it's okay. I already mapped out my slideshow, so <laughs> it's too late. We're going to go with, we're going to go with the good news first. All right, so here's the first good news. You guys know we have lawsuits across the, the state, right? We have seven active lawsuits. Just so you know, we've won several along the way. And we're about to head towards another victory in San Diego. And that is going to be announced probably in the next couple of weeks. But what we know, I'll tell you what we do know, is the city actually approached us. We filed a lawsuit last year. city approached us a couple of weeks ago. And they offered... Um, they offered an agreement with us that they would rescind all of the mandates in San Diego, all of them. 
And the reason they're doing that is because we have been a thorn in their side and the firefighters and the police officers and the public employees and the captains and the unvaccinated, the vaccinated, they have stood side by side together to fight back against these illegal mandates, these unconstitutional mandates. And it took that community, they came together. So we're gonna win again, another win. Anytime someone tells you you can't win in California, which we were told that, and I, I get it. Like, you think you can't. You almost are like, how can you actually do something of impact or value here? And I'm here to tell you that there's something changing for the good here. We see it at the Capitol. We see it in the communities. We see it in the cities. We see it in the people that we're working with. And so just so that you have a little bit of hope in case you ever feel like maybe it's never gonna get better here, there are things happening and it's really phenomenal to be honest with you. People are standing up. Just, you know, just a few years ago, we didn't have the firefighters standing side by side with us. We didn't have the public employees and the police officers and the airlines and lots of churches. We didn't have all of them. We had Dr. Tenpenny and Dr. Judy who were speaking to audiences of like three. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm kidding. You know what I'm saying? Right. And now, <laughs> okay, they were talking to each other. <laughs> And now you have rooms packed to listen to their message. You have billions of people, literally, who have heard of Dr. Judy and, and the pandemic. You have Dr. Um, Sherry Tenpenny, who's opening a, opening a clinic here in our backyard. It's amazing. So even though there's good news, we also have to talk about what's happening in California right now because it's our job to know and be aware and never be asleep so that we can make sure we're fighting, especially for the children. So California, have you heard of the new bill that they've introduced in California this year? There is a new bill. It is an HPV vaccine mandate bill, okay? So remember last year we worked so hard and were able to defeat so many of the ones they introduced. They had like 12, we defeated like seven. Other um, organizations defeated more in the courts. Like it was a battle and we won. And so this year, honestly, just it being only one or two bad bills, we can do this, you guys. Like this is easy compared to last year. So the few of you that clapped were like, oh yes. And then those that didn't clap were like, oh my gosh, you're so tired, right? It's okay, I understand. So here's what they're doing. They have this vaccine mandate and what they're, what, it's an HBV shot that they're trying to leverage all the children in California's education. In order for them to go to school, they would have to take this shot. For eighth graders and above, they would not be able to go into a classroom, everyone, they would not be able to enter the school unless they have this shot. And this bill has already, they already are talking about trying to mandate it for younger ages and children, okay? Now, I'm not a doctor. Dr. Tenpenny and Dr. Judy, they could really spend probably hours and hours and hours educating you about what is wrong with the HPV vaccine. They could. But for the sake of what we're doing right now, my focus is gonna be on the policy. Because as we go to the Capitol, we have to convince 
those who don't agree with us why this isn't okay and why this isn't good for children. And so with that, you have to understand that we're, our arguments with them, they don't hear that there's vaccine injuries. They actually don't think there are related to the HPV shot. But so you know, there's over 64,000 reported, that's just reported, injuries for specifically the HPV shot to the CDC reporting system just for this one alone. So when they think there's no injuries, we know that there are, right? So, but yet they don't hear that. They don't hear it. We also heard the legislator who introduced this bill say that this shot is good for boys. Okay, just think about that for a second. Good for boys, that there's no injuries, and that um, vaccines save lives, and that this is gonna prevent cancer. So they come from this perspective, and that's genuinely what they're believing. So my team has been very, very active, as you can imagine, over the past several months. We've been up at the Capitol in January, and in February, and in March. We were there today and yesterday all day long, and guess who we were meeting with? The author of the bill. We met with the committee chair. We met with the board chair of the health committee for where this bill is going, and we're trying to talk to them like you and I would be having a conversation about why this is a terrible idea. And so one point we've been making is that children should never, ever have to choose between the education that they need and the shot that they don't want. That should never be on the table. We've tried to show them that as they've introduced vaccine policies along the way in 2015 and 2019 and 2020, 2021, 2022, all, every time they do this, there's a decline in enrollment in public schools, okay? So their policies match exactly in the years and the timeline as they introduce these policies that remove rights, remove you know, um, personal beliefs, religious beliefs, medical exemptions, there's an exact decline in school enrollment. So children are leaving the schools, families are leaving the schools because of what they've done. So back to the HBV shot in and of itself. So one of the arguments that we've been bringing to the legislators to try to help them get how serious this is, is we've been showing them the active litigation that is currently happening around just this shot. Okay, so for you to know, do you know how many active cases there are right now related to the HBV vaccine? You can cheat, you can see. <laughs> there are... What is, I can't even see my own slide. <laughs> 85, thank you. There are 85 active lawsuits right now. Litigation that is saying Merck, the company who uh, created this vaccine, manufactured it, has committed fraud. They've been hiding evidence of injuries in the clinical trials as well as all the data they have. They have manipulated the data with the regulators, the FDA, to get their vaccine fast-tracked and approved. These are the accusations that are in these lawsuits that there is serious fraud happening. So much so that the people that are being hurt and injured and even have died, 
That's why, because this fraud of a product that was supposed to be okay and safe and all these things does not match what's happening. So we are trying to communicate this to these legislators that there's active litigation. One of the uh, law offices that currently has many, many, many of these cases, he told us there are millions, take that in for a second, millions of pages of data that they that are sealed currently in the court in the, these court battles that the legislators don't even have to even look at. Millions, millions of pages of data to prove everything that we're talking about, the harm. And so we've been taking those arguments up to the legislators. We're saying, hey, this is active litigation. Wait, pause, don't do this. It's gonna hurt children. They just came out of this pandemic, right? So you're going to add a mandate that will literally remove children from in-person learning when they already were removed from in-person learning for over a year in California. And the consequences of that are they have health issues. They have mental health issues. They have PTSD. There's academic loss. There's, they're regressed in some of the learning. And you're going to add another barrier to them having an in-person education? And being able to learn and recover in this time, we literally had that conversation. My team was amazing yesterday. They were on fire talking about, don't do that right now. Don't do it ever. But right now, after this, what just happened? And guess what? They were listening to us. They were listening to the passion. We even got... A, a, a thumbs up from one of the Democrat legislators who's on the voting, the vote, um, he's on the health committee. Literally, thumbs up to my team. He has four kids, he knows what we're talking about is true, and he said, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep talking to them, keep sharing these points, keep, keep, keep fighting, keep warrioring, because they're starting to listen to what we have to say. So I want you to know something else. If we only talk to the people who agree with us, we will never impact change, right? Because you are, you, how many of you agree with me right now on pretty much everything I've said? Okay, how many of you disagree with anything I've said? Just checking, oh, you in the back? Okay, I'm just kidding, there's no one in the back. <laughs> so, but the point is this, you're already receptive to what I have to say. You're already receptive to Dr. Judy and to Dr. Tenpenny. You're going to hear what I'm trying to tell you. But what about all the people out there? What about the people in the other room that haven't heard this? And so one of the philosophies of PERC and our team and our core mission is to do this outreach beyond just the people that agree with us so that we can actually elicit change. That's how we've been effective. That's how we've been able to impact because we go talk to the fire captain and the police captain who are vaccinated. And we say, we need you on our side too because you know what? This mandate still imp impacts you. It'll impact your children, your nieces, your nephews, your people. You have staff shortages because of this and they're hearing that, do you see? So up at the Capitol, I say this because my team met with the author of the bill yesterday. And 
had a, believe it or not, I know you might not believe me, conspiracy theory, if you want to call it, but she had, they had a great conversation with the author of the bill and communicated all these things I'm telling you. They told the author of the bill that, and she's, she's a, um, I don't know how old she is, she's like maybe 80, I don't know actually, she's actually young. I don't know, I just like made her older for some reason because I thought you would want her to be older, like a, you know, old witch type lady. No, but she's not. She actually is very passionate about what she believes. She has people in her family that have died from cervical cancer, and she genuinely believes this is the way um, to, uh, to stop that. We don't believe that. It's not true, but that's her paradigm. So when we told her, your bill is going to make it so that no children in California have exemptions, basically. There's no opt-out option. There are four states that have the HPV shot as a, as a requirement for school. And in those four states, they all have robust exemptions. They have religious exemptions and personal belief and medical. There's, and they're not hard to get. We said that in California, you would be the first person and first um, legislator and to make it California the first state that would basically have no exemptions for this shot. And she took a breath and took a step back and said, wow, she didn't know that. And so when we're up there having these conversations, we are trying to show her an influence that this is not a good idea. And I'm going to tell you another I'm going to keep it as, as ambiguous as I can, but I'm going to tell you something that happened yesterday. My team met with 11 of the health committee members, because that's where the bill's about to go, and, including her, and she told us that she is going to be submitting amendments to the bill within the next few days that should make us very happy, is what she said. So, there you go. Now... What she thinks will make us happy versus what will really make us happy might be two different things, and we won't know until we see this, okay? But I want you to know that this is how progress is made on issues where people completely have, they don't agree with you in any way, shape, or form. So we have these conversations. Another pretty cool thing happened, I will tell you this, um, you know how we always talk about like liberals and progressives, like they'll never change, they'll never apologize. Do you feel that way? Okay, just checking. So, is anybody a liberal here? Okay, we actually welcome you. I really, I really do. I actually hope that there's people who uh, espouse to some of the liberal ideas. But my husband had, this happened literally just yesterday, you guys. It made me so excited that I could share it with you. I, I wrote it down, I'm like so excited. So he had uh, one of his very, very, very like liberal, 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 like if there's an extreme, like this person is way over here on, on this extreme, okay? He had Facebook debates with this friend uh, like about a year and a half ago about masks and my husband is my husband, so he knows the truth. He, he knows what's going on with all this and so he was talking about the mandates aren't good and, you know, the mask science and all that, and talking about that this shouldn't be the case here, his liberal friend totally ripped my husband apart on Facebook and, you know, called him names, because that's what usually happens when you don't have truth to stand on. You resort to a few names to call because you don't have anything else to say. That's a lack of education. Um, is it okay to say that? Yeah, okay. So, and so he reamed my husband about all of this, so the lockdowns, all that, totally disagreed. Guess what happened yesterday? 
this same person literally private messaged my husband and said, I'm going to quote, so you, he said, dude, because that's what you say. (laughs) It's California, right? Dude, seeing all the new data about masks have been making me think about you. This big exclamation point, that's a big oopsie. For me, after buying into some early statistical data comparing cities with mandates versus those without, listen to this, listen to this, sorry for being on the wrong side of history here. There's hope. Do you see? That's just one person. How many people have you planted seeds with that have been awakened? They saw something. They heard something. You sent them that one text. You talked to that one family member. And something is sinking in finally for people, even the people that you, we all gave up on. Let's be honest with you. And so that is just phenomenal when this happens, right? And that is a really huge victory. So you, if you know anything about PERC, you know that we always attach action to any of these issues that are happening, okay? So I want you to know some actions we actually need you to take right now that will continue to help us fight this bad mandate bill. And I'm literally counting on all of you to do this, genuinely, because it's working. Actually, it is working. We know they're reading your letters, they're answering the phones and hearing your, um, your messages on, online, on social media, and the emails you're sending. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to send, and I need the, I need the church to do this too, Pastor Rick. <laughs> I need you to send an official letter of opposition into the legislative portal. Okay, what this does is it registers, registers, registers. Yes, registers your opposition to this mandate bill. And as an organization, there are certain like rules you have to put your logo and you have to have it on letterhead and all that. So you can go to our website, it has everything that you need to know of how to do this, but they're reading these letters and they are making an impact. And I want to have as many of these letters in as possible. So if you're an organization, you can do that. If, you're a, if you have a social media following, a group of grassroots people that listen to you, use that name and you can submit a letter too. And if, you're, if you don't have an organization, that you as citizens can submit a letter as well. And what you're doing is you're registering your official opposition to this bill. And the bill is about to be heard in the health committee. That's the very first step, okay? And we know, based on our meetings today and yesterday, that the health committee is going to be given a two-hour report this Friday, all those committee members at the Capitol. So this is how we impact change. This is how, there's so many ways to do this, okay, but this is one way right now in this space where you can actually send what you think about it. We have talking points for you. We have everything you could possibly need to be able to, um, to, to formulate thoughts. We have cited sources. We have everything ready for you. We have example letters of what to say. So can I see by a show of hands how many of you are going to actually do this? Thank you. I'm going to clap for you this time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. And, and that's what we need. The other thing I want to give you, oh, you can't see it very well, 
but we have it on the table back there. We have the emails, the social media handles. We have all the ways to contact those legislators around the health committee so that you can reach out to them that way too. So I definitely want you to do that. The last thing I want to share with you is we had an opportunity to go to a um, function a couple of days ago and listen to Governor Ron DeSantis in California. I know you already want to clap. It's okay, because it's Ron DeSantis. And I was really, really, really moved by something that he said, and I wanted to share it with you. And I want to tell you two things. One, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not anything. I am Amy Bond, who stands with people who have principles and character and stand for freedom and family and for the values that I hold dear. That's what makes me who I am and who I vote for. We welcome all, if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, no party, all faiths, all walks of life, everybody is needed in this. So it doesn't matter what that you know, typical thing is that divides us or we give a label to it. So I just wanted to lay that out. So when I say and share a quote from Governor DeSantis, it's about a principle he's sharing that resonates with me, okay? It's not about the political party. So that being said, he said this. He said, Florida stood out because other large states like California and New York dutifully bowed to the biomedical security state. I was not going to allow our state to descend into a Faucian dystopia in which people's freedoms were curtailed and their livelihoods destroyed. And you all can imagine the attacks that he would have had against him for, stand, for like not locking down all the things. And he said this. This is the last thing I want to share with you. He said, the criticism and attacks were relentless. And I assumed that they were taking a toll on my political standing. Some of my friends and allies were worried about all the negative attention and urged me to implement um, some, some mandates and restrictions to help take the heat off of me. For me, the important thing to do was to safeguard the freedoms, livelihoods, and businesses of the people I was elected to serve. If doing so, if doing so caused me to suffer political damage, even to lose my job as governor, then so be it. It's easy to do the right thing when it's popular. But leadership is all about doing the right thing when under political attack. It's not easy in California, but it is working and we are eliciting change and we are seeing amazing victory th victories happening and I just want you guys to remember that what are you here for? What are you here for? You're not here for a title or a position or any of those kinds of things. We're here to help people, to protect children, to bless lives and if we do so standing on principle and speaking truth we are going to always win. Thank you guys so much.
Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for that, that update. What a blessing. You know, I, I, I must confess, I am not impressed uh, with Hollywood stars, you know, this or that. I see, see someone like that, especially here in Malibu or Southern California. I'm like, oh, there's that person that was on that movie. Cool. And I'm not very impressed with politicians either. But I have to confess, I have a man crush on Ron DeSantis. <laughs> right? <clears throat> So I told Tammy, I said, if I ever get a chance to talk with Ron DeSantis, I'm absolutely taking it. I'm going to be unembarrassed, unabashed, the most shameless, like get a selfie person, and which I, that is not my personality. So uh, in March of 2021, we were in an event, and Ron was speaking. It was a small event. And I told Tammy, I said, I don't know what's going to happen. If his security takes me out, I don't care. I'm going to hang out with Ron for a few minutes. So I went up and introduced and just told him what respect I had for how he was exercising his leadership. And I really just wanted to, you know, and busy people, I, I, I know what that whole world's about. So I thought I'd just get a selfie and move away. He just, he just turned towards me in the most sincere way. I mean, because you see people out here. And he wanted to know, well, what's going on with you and what's happening in California? Very, so we talked for the next 15 minutes. And, and you know, there was no pressure uh, because of the, where the event was. And just and said, he's like the real deal. I mean, he's not just blowing you off or so impressive. So, as our special guest tonight, Rhonda said, no. <laughs> we have somebody that has been speaking to these issues, and that is, as you know, Dr. Tenpenny, who is an osteopathic medical doctor with a proficiency certification in integrative medicine. She is the founder of Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center, a holistic medical clinic located near Cleveland, Ohio. Her approaches have attracted patients from all 50 states and 17 different countries. With the success of her first clinic, she is now launching Tenpenny Health Restoration Centers, which one is going to be in Ventura. You guys are going to be blessed. And specifically, a series of clinics to offer internal counterpulsation, or ECP, therapy is widely considered the most effective non-invasive treatment for heart conditions. It is an FDA-approved therapy for refractory angina, a type of chest pain not responsive to other treatments. ECP is also highly effective for persons who are not candidates for cardiac stents or bypass surgery. For health persons, ECP can help to improve stamina, excuse me, for healthy persons, ECP can help improve stamina and overall well-being. To find out more about ECP and Dr. Tenpenny, just to mention, if you will go to tenpennyecp.com. Well, no further ado, Dr. Tenpenny is going to straighten out everything I said in the opening (laughs) because she's the medical professional. Please welcome Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Podium back out. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me see. Thank you. That helped me get a little bit awake. I mean, I got up at five o'clock this morning and got on an airplane, Eastern Standard Time, so it's now like 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So I have a kind person that's going to go get me some coffee. 
So, so uh, I can make this a little bit more perky. But thank you so much for inviting me, Amy, and for putting this all together and my team and everybody who's kind of come out here with me. Um, they're all tired, too, because we all got up early and came out here early this morning. So I want to see, yes, where we are. So this is, um, this is going to tell you a whole lot about, I need to stand someplace different so I can see those slides. At least I stand over here. There we go. Um, I just started a new show on Brighteon.tv. It's on Monday night at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. It's called The Tenpenny Files. Now, for as many years as I've been doing talks and presentations and radio and television and all that stuff, I've almost always talked about vaccines. You know, I've been doing the vaccine talk now since September of 2000. And so when COVID stuff came along, it was just a natural extension on what I already did. In fact, the first article that I wrote, which was in March of 2020, was an article titled, Same Playbook, Different Virus. And we just sort of saw this whole thing happening all over again. And I went through SARS and, and um, you know, bird flu and, H19, and H1N1 and all this other stuff. And so now I started this TV show to talk about health. I mean, I've been a physician since 1985, which kind of tells you how old I am, right? And so, um, so that's a, so this is what we, so I've been doing all this time. And I just want to say a little, just one quick word. I told my staff I was going to do this. So I bought this shirt. I bought this shirt <laughs> at one of Clay Clark's events. And I don't get to wear it very often, but I thought it was really super appropriate to wear it here. And I made a choice between wearing this one, which is a little bit dressier, and the sweatshirt that I, has, I have that says, I'm a simple person, I love dogs and Jesus. So I chose for a little bit fancier shirt to wear this one. That's what I did. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about some of the stuff about shots that I've been talking about now for, well, you know, between... Um, March of 2020 and December of 21, I gave over 600 talks on radio, podcasts, television, and different things like that. And just to put that in context, thank you so much. Just to put that in context for people, I did that was in about that was about 600 talks in about 18 months, and I usually do about 30 a year. So at the beginning of 2020. I was like, wow, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And I think I need to tell you just a, a short little story before that. So I grew up in a, and when I was born, my dad was Catholic and my mom was, was Methodist. And my, on my mom's side of the family, they'd had a Methodist minister in the family every year, all the way back to the 1700s, that they had a family, a family thing. So I grew up in a very, and then I grew up in a very fundamentalist, very fundamentalist Christian church. And when I got into my 20s, I kind of said, I don't think I want to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, because I was probably 30 years old before anybody told me that God loved me. Everything that I had ever heard was fire and brimstone and hellfire damnation and my entire uh, time growing up. So in about the middle of 2019, I had this really good friend, and we were going to go on a girls' weekend to a spa. We both spoke at a conference, and then we were going to go to Pittsburgh to this, um, to this vacation. And so we went to dinner that night, and Tracy, we sat down to dinner, and she put her hands across the table, and she said, let's pray. I said, well, that seemed benign enough to me to do that, right? So we said this little prayer, and after we did, we, pray, we said grace. She said, God's got you on your radar screen, and I'm not going to let go until you say yes. And I spent three days that when I drove home from Pittsburgh, it was like, what just happened? <laughs> 
what just, I didn't turn on the radio in the car or anything. I was driving home going, what just happened? And over the course of about four or five or six months, she just kept, you know, sending me text messages and all these things saying, Jesus wants you on the team. He's asking you to get on the playing field and you gotta, you gotta say yes. You gotta get involved. I'm like, mm. I was sort of like the old, some of you are probably old enough to remember Ross Perot when he ran, and he was like the great sucking sound, you know? So every time somebody said church to me, it was like the great sucking sound, you know, back in the, no, I can't do that. Well, I went to St. Thomas for, for Thanksgiving and then for Christmas, and there were some things that happened down there. I met some really amazing people, and on 1-1-2020, think of the timing here, I said, yes, Lord, I'm all the way in. A hundred percent, no matter what you want me to do, where you want me to be, I'm a hundred percent in, and three months later, we have COVID. Okay, so at that point, I said, okay, so we want me to talk about God. I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm doing this for a while. And the first thing I heard, I heard him say clearly, it's only been a few points in time in my life where I really heard the Lord clearly, and he said, carpet bomb the neighborhood. <laughs> so I said, all right, Michelle, roll up our sleeves, we're going to get busy. And I did over 600 interviews then in the next 18 months, warning people about the myth of the mask, the nonsense of the social distancing, um, the fraud of the PCR testing. And then when we rolled into 21, I said, now what, Lord? And he said, you got to tell them about the shots. So I spent all of 21 talking about the shots. I did the 40 mechanisms of injury of how the COVID shots could make you sick or kill you. I wrote two eBooks about that in the middle of 21. And then at the beginning of 22, I said... I'm really talking, tired of talking about COVID, Lord. I'm like really tired of this. What do you want me to talk about? And it was one of those other times when I heard him say clearly, repent. It was clearly the word that I heard him say, repent. That people that got the shot out of fear, out of convenience, out of coercion, out of, you know, just for, just because they thought it was the right thing to do for social, you know, social things like that. You know, they have violated the temple of the Holy Spirit because that's where we live, and they need to repent. It's no different than if it was pornography or heroin addiction or alcoholism or something like that. They need to get right with me. So all of 22 was all about that. It was all about calling, telling people about this, about the intentional destruction of the... Um... It's not working? That, whoops, whoa. <laughs> Trying to tell me to hurry up. Okay, about this. The destruction of the Holy Temple and what we have done with the messenger RNA injections that modify genetics. And what we've actually done with that, and this is where we start, I started with at the beginning of that story, why I told you that, from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for that temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. So people needed to, so I stood on stages in front of thousands and thousands of people over the course of the last couple of years, telling people, they, it didn't matter how long you were going to live on this planet, if it was another day, or if you were going to get to live to be 120, eternity, that's a speck in time compared to eternity. And that you really, really, really need to have your life right with the Lord. And, um, and it was, you know, it's just what he told me to do. So when we got around to talking about damaged hearts, 
because that was what was really happening at that point in time. But the, the stuff that started coming out about myocarditis in the middle of last year was irrefutable. And like what you had said, Pastor, about the SADS, the son, you know, son adult death syndrome, I was like, seriously? And some, all the doctors believed it? And there was, and we, all these articles that I read, the doctors are perplexed. So somebody sent me this little mean meme of a you know, chubby, fat little doctor standing there, and it said across of it, hello, meet Dr. Perplexed. <laughs> I didn't have any idea what that was all about. And so, <laughs> you know, we, there was a lot of different things that we had to talk about with that. But the damaged hearts were absolutely irrefutable. And it's coming out every day. You know, when I did the 40 mechanisms of injury of how the COVID shots can make you sick or kill you, you could divide that into four categories. Acute sudden death, spike protein injury and illness, autoimmune antibody illness, and kind of a classification of other. And the other was the huge spike in, in infertility and the huge spike in cancer. And so when all of this started coming out about, about the heart stuff, I said, well, what does that really mean? You know, the cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. Nearly 2,400 Americans die every day of cardiac causes. And this was pre-COVID data. You know, for as many years as I've been a physician, the two causes, number one causes of death in America were cancer and heart disease. So this was all happening even before they started murdering people with these shots. And these cardiovascular conditions are hardening of the arteries, heart attacks, strokes, cardiomyopathies like congestive heart failure, hypertension, arrhythmias like um, atrial fibrillation and all kinds. There's a long list of other types of arrhythmias. But the one that has stood out is the myocarditis. And, and what is myocarditis? So myocarditis is an actual inflammation of the heart muscle itself. Like if you go to the store and you buy beef heart and you buy a heart, that's, those are cardiomyocytes that you're buying there. Okay, so it's the same in humans or it is, as it is in animals. The, and so what actually happens is the spike protein from these, um, from these shots attacks the heart muscle and can actually bore into the heart muscle itself. It also does it through a receptor site that gets into that, opens the door and allows the, the spike protein to get into the heart muscle. And it causes inflammation of the blood vessels that feed the heart. And that's really important. Remember that because the blood vessels that feed the heart and drill down into the heart. So the heart muscle itself can get blood are teeny tiny little vessels. And the inside of those vessels, it's called the endothelium. And the endothelium gets inflamed by the spike proteins that were created by the messenger RNA shots. Okay, so in the long-term prognosis of myocarditis, over time, it weakens the heart muscle. And it weakens it to the point, if you can imagine having like a, an overstretched rubber band, you know, that after a while it just loses its stretchability and it just kind of like, like falls out from there. That's what happens with myocarditis. The short-term prognosis can be good. And most people that go into the hospital, even young people and teenagers that go in with myocarditis, they get treated with steroids and anti-inflammatory medications. They generally uh, can leave and they're usually okay but there's a low level inflammation that's going on in the heart muscle that can go on for years. They've already retested a lot of these young kids that had myocarditis while they were playing soccer on the football team. And 
they already know that at, that at least 12 months, which will be the next slide, that the myocarditis goes on for a long as that period of time. And we've only been doing these shots since December of 2020. So we're only a little over two years into this. We have no long-term data. We have no, no, no idea what people are going to look like from a health perspective if they live that long over the next four, five, ten years. Okay? It's down here. There we go. And subclinical myocarditis may occur from every single person that's had even one shot. And it's because of the spike proteins. The injections of these messenger RNA uh, shots is that they inject the messenger RNA that runs through a little cellular organ in your cells called the ribosomes. And what it does is it makes a spike protein. The spike protein then goes in and, and can attack any organ system in your body. Your brain, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your lungs your ovaries, your testes, your uterus, your breasts, all of these different things. So the spike, so if you've even had just one, you've got spike proteins. And now there's the other issue that's starting to come to the forefront that I talked about it in the two books that I wrote, is this whole concept of shedding. And you know, shedding isn't quite the right word, but people aren't willing to give up that word, so I'll just use it. It's really a transmission. You're tra the vaccinated people are transmitting something to unvaccinated people. We think some of it is spike protein, some of it is exosomes, some of it might be graphene oxide, some of it might be hydrogel, but they're not really studying that, but they just know from the symptoms. And what transmission is, is it, what shedding is, is like if I get a chicken, if I get a shingle shot, which is live chickenpox vaccine. It was a virus in the shot. That's what it is. It's live chickenpox virus. And I'm around somebody who's susceptible that's never had chickenpox or never had a chickenpox vaccine or never had a shingles vaccine. I can, tran I can shed that live virus to that person. And what do they get? Chickenpox. They don't get the flu. They don't get the mumps. They don't get measles. They get chicken pox. That's shedding. We know that that really exists. We know it from the polio data, and it's why in the United States we stopped using the oral polio vaccines in 2001 because the oral polio vaccine had a live polio virus in it. It was going out through the stools, and, and the last couple of cases that were, that were happening in the U.S. in like 1978, before they stopped using the, or, uh, using the oral polio vaccine, it was moms who contracted polio from the virus that came out in the diaper that their kid just had the oral polio shot. That's, shed, that's true shedding. This is something different. And that's why we've been calling it the five docs that some of you guys follow us, that we call it transmission. Because I'm transmitting something to you, but you don't get COVID. You get irregular heartbeats. You get massive irregular bleeding. Your periods stop or they get really long or you start with all these blood clots that are happening or women that are having miscarriages from being around heavily vaccinated, just newly vaccinated people. That's really something that's happening. So now we're starting to see some of these side effects that are happening from being around people who've had two shots and two, three, four boosters. Early on, when this first started, some of the people in my circles that I run around with had told me that they were going to go for a minimum of seven boosters. Minimum of seven. Yeah, what is wrong with, what is wrong with people exactly? <laughs> so, whoops. 
Yes. So this is a study that's been confirmed. This was done recently. It was just done in July of 22 that it said after the first, so the, up there in the, um, in the orange circle where that you see that orange in, that's when people developed myocarditis after the second shot. It's like the first shot primes the pump, and the second shot causes this massive uh, myocarditis. And that was one study, and here's a second study that sort of says the same thing. This was just released, uh, this was released in December of 21, that 140 adolescents and young people, and why any parent would inject their children with this stuff, I'm telling you, they, they need re-education camps, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Um, so suspected myocarditis occurred in 136 out of 140 after the second dose. Symptoms started at a median of two days up to 22 days, and the most common system was severe chest pain. And what are we now seeing? We know that the, that the persistence of the myocarditis, and they do what's called cardiac MRIs, and they inject a dye that's called gadolinium, which is not a good thing. So you can't routinely just do in, um, cardiac MRIs with injected dye just all the time because it's, it stays in the body for a long time. But the rate of mortality from myocarditis is 20% at one year and 50% at five years despite adequate medical treatment. And that was the statistic that we knew even before the COVID shots. This is a very despicable slide. Remember when Pfizer went to court and wanted to withhold the data for 75 years? Well, that would make two generations of dead people, right? They wanted all the people who had been involved in developing these shots and, and all the politicians and everything, they, who were now in their 50s and 60s, if we wait 75 years, they would be long gone so nobody could be held to accountable, which is the point of that. Well, that smart judge says, no, you're going to start releasing these documents. Well, the first tranche of documents was a 38-page paper that was just eye-dropping. And it should have been enough when that paper came out to have stopped the entire process in cold in its tracks. That was, this was on page, that, that document had over 1,200 known diseases, conditions, side effects, and, and all kinds of problems that those shots were having they knew before they even released it to the market. So when somebody says to me, do you think a Pfizer shot could cause fill in the blank? The answer is yes, because there were over 1,200 of those conditions. And I pulled out from that paper, these were the conditions they knew that were going to cause heart problems before they even released it on the market. So myocarditis, arrhythmias, cardiac arrest, blood clots in the arteries, intercardiac mass, acute myocardial infarction. And if you look down here at the bottom, you probably, I want to read this to you because you probably can't see it in the back. This was out of an ant over 1,200 people that had had heart problems. And of those 1,200, over 1,000, uh, over 1, almost 1,200 had arrhythmias, fast heartbeats, 89 had heart attacks, 91 had cardiac failure. 136 died, and they knew this. They had to hire 400 more people in those researchers just to all the incoming of all the side effects from these field trials just to be able to catalog them. There were 136 deaths that they knew about. You know, like Peter McCullough said in his first testimony in Washington, D.C., one was too many. There's 136 
And what was Pfizer's conclusion after all of that data and all those different things and all those conditions? This cumulative case review does not raise any safety concerns. And what should our response have been? It should have been that. <laughs> like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. We need to stop this, like, now. So what have we done instead? We now know, and this was data just from this, this website, it's goodsciencing.com. They track all the dead athletes from around the world. And as of February the 26th, there have been 1,733 cardiac arrests or collapse, and over 1,200 of them have died. These are boys, girls, men, women at the top of their game in every, in every sport are dead because they were required to get these shots to participate in their sport. And this is sort of a graph of what it looks like. The, the red at the bottom is the number of people who died and the ones at the top were the number of people that collapsed. The top athletes of the world. So can we do anything about this? I mean, what is the, what is the thing? I mean, you know, it's sort of like, do we just kind of play the, the, the funeral dirges and just say, you know, everybody that's had a shot is just walking around as a, as a ticking time bomb? To a certain degree, that's true. But maybe there's some normal stuff that we can do for our hearts, just some normal sorts of things like avoid tobacco, be more active, lose some weight, you know, um, lessen your amount of alcohol, lower your cholesterol, you know, just stuff that we've known for a long time, most people don't do. It's like, do what I say, don't do what I do, you know, sort of things, in terms of regular heart disease. But then that's when I got introduced to something called ECP. And I'd never heard of ECP before, ever. And I've been a practicing physician, you know, I was, my first career, I was board certified in emergency medicine, and I was the director of a level two trauma center for 12 years. I was the first DO on an all MD medical staff. I was one of only four women on the medical staff, big staff, and I was the youngest person on the staff. And they made me the director of the ER when I was 29 years old. So, yeah, thank you. I, I'm kind of an early bloomer, you know? And also, that really made me into a really, really good doctor and a really good diagnostician because they were after my butt on every patient, believe me. Because they wanted to make sure I was, I was, they wanted to make me wrong, and I was there to prove I was right. So I got to be like a really good doctor. But I'd never heard of ECP, never heard of it, not even once in more than 30 years of practice of medicine. So I was out here in California, and somebody said, well, I'm going to go down to, um, to I think it's Santa Barbara, and I'm going to get one of these treatments. Do you want to come with me? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went down and got on the bed, which I'll show you in just a minute, and the only thing that I regretted about that treatment was that I almost always have some swelling in my lower legs because I sit in front of a computer way too long during the day. And they call it dependent edema. It's just from sitting around all the time and not moving enough. And so when I got on that bed, when I got off the bed, I wished I had either taken a tape measure or that I'd either, or taken pictures of the about inch and a half difference in size that both of my legs were and how much better I felt. I, I felt like, because I had COVID back in 2019. I had COVID, I was, in, I was in Europe at the time and that was when it was just kicking up in like Italy in the Northern and I was really sick. And ever since that time, I'd always had just a little low level of shortness of breath. I could never feel like I could just take in a really deep breath after that one ECP treatment that was gone. 
And I could go to the airport and walk through the treatment, walk through the airport, and my legs stayed, all that swelling stayed away for about three weeks. Then I was back out here to California for a separate separate thing. I go, I'm going to go down there and get another one of those treatments. And in the meantime, I had done a whole bunch of research because that's what I do, right? I just go down the rabbit hole and I just start researching stuff. So I pulled all of the articles that I could find. And interestingly enough, um, most of the research has been done in the last 20 years in China, India, Singapore, and Japan. Primarily, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but they've got an aging population just like we do, and they certainly can't afford American nonsensical medicine. So they've been using this for a really, really long time. In fact, if you go out to the internet and you do Google search for, for ECP, for external counterpulsation, or EECP, which you'll see most of the enhanced external counterpulsation, um, EECP, enhanced external counterpulsation, is a registered trademark of Vasil Medical, which is one of the people who make the beds. And early on, as a bed manufacturer, most of the research was done with these beds. So if you look at the medical literature, more likely you're going to see if the research is done with EECP, which actually is doing ECP, so they're basically synonyms. So our clinics, and what we're going to do is all about ECP, because we don't want to mess with their trademark. <laughs> so we just do what, do what we're going to do. So what does it do? Well, it can eliminate chest pain. It can improve your injection fraction, how much, how, how healthy your part can pump. It lowers blood pressure. Usually people that have had four or five visits in our clinic that's in Cleveland, um, they usually are getting off most of their blood pressure medications by about the 12th visit. Um, I'm going to tell you a couple case studies in a few minutes. It does this by increasing blood flow, and as it increases the blood flow, it increases nitric oxide in your body. And nitric oxide is a general overall vasodilator. So it vasodilates all of your blood vessels to all of your organs, which then gets more oxygen, more nutrients, more blood into those organs. So when people ask me questions like, and I know it'll come up in the Q&A, so I'm trying to avoid that right now, by saying, do you think ECP would help fill in the blank? Well, if better blood flow more oxygen and more nutrients into that organ system is going to improve that organ system, then the answer, well, yes, it will. So it, it also increases a, a particular type of hormone called VEGF, which is V-E-G-F, which stands for vascular endothelial growth factor, and there will not be a quiz on that. Okay. But what that does is it stimulates your body to do its own bypass grafts. So if you've got a blockage, it increases the hormones so you don't have to have the surgery. So this is kind of what ECP looks like. It was first developed in 1995. 1995, and it used to be that it was old and clunky and it sort of looked like the tin, the old machines kind of looked like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. And they actually had them in the back of an ambulance. So when the ambulance would go on a run to pick up somebody who'd had a chest pain, a possible heart attack, they would put them in this chamber, this metal chamber, to pump the blood into their heart while they were having a heart attack and taking them on their way to the hospital. Um, and it looks kind of like that. There's blood. If you can just imagine, you have a blood pressure cuff around each calf, around each thigh, and around your lower abdomen. Those are hydraulic pumps that are hooked up to a big hydraulic machine, 
And that machine is also hooked up to your chest by like a three lead EKG. So the electronic board in the machine reads your heartbeat, and then as your, your heart beats, and as your heart relaxes, the cuffs beat. So it's like heart cuffs, heart cuffs, heart cuffs. And it kind of sounds like that. It's real relaxing, and it feels like a deep tissue massage on your legs. And there's a scale of one to four where you can turn it up from a mild compression to a stronger compression, and it's pushing blood back up into your heart muscle. Remember I told you all those blood vessels, those little teeny tiny blood vessels that get blocked by the spike proteins that are tearing the blood into your heart? It helps to push through there, and it also helps to clean out your lymphatics. It helps with peripheral neuropathies. It helps with peripheral vascular disease. And it does it while you're laying comfortably on a bed, getting a deep tissue massage, and it's like a passive exercise that has all these wonderful benefits. And what's really cool about this, remember I said I've been in practice how long? Like a long time? Never heard of it? And I kind of look at these machines, and, and what we've decided to do with it it's kind of like, remember back in the 70s when they made carburetors that could run off of water? And there were gasoline engines that could get 70 miles to the gallon? And, um, and big oil and big gas shut them all down? And destroyed the patents and put everybody on, threatened everybody that was doing it? That's kind of what these machines are like. They've been around since 1995. They got an FDA, or uh, I'm sorry, they've been around since 1953. They got an FDA approval in 1995. And why aren't doctors using them? Well, I'll show you that in just a minute. But I felt like we just kind of pulled something out, because like I said there, it's been proven to increase coronary blood flow by 20 to 40% since 1953. That's older than me, and I'm kind of old. <laughs> so it's like a long time away. Um, and this is what I was telling you about how you, you can, this is like before ECP and after ECP when you get that increase of that VEGF I told you about, the hormone, you grow your own blood vessels. These are the types of things that we know that have been published in the medical literature. They stopped doing a whole lot of research here in the U.S., kind of in the, kind of in the, in the, in the late 70s and the early 80s. And that's because cardiobypass stents and bypass surgery started really going into the forefront. And interestingly enough, I didn't know this as a physician, I've been doing this a long time, that when I started doing the research on this, that the number, the, 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 the one medical specialty in America that makes the most money, cardiovascular surgeons. I would have said neurosurgeon, some sort of specialty orthopedic person, something like that. Cardiovascular surgeons, and I'm going to show you the numbers in just a minute. An invasive cardiologist, which explains why these beds have been kind of shoved in a closet and gathered dust. Because these are all the different things that I found in the medical literature. So uh, some of you may not be able to read it. I'll read it real quick. Heart disease, most types, congestive heart failure, arrhythmias, hypertension, kidney disease. The papers that they took people who were on chronic, even on dialysis, got better. Um, peripheral vascular disease, strokes, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. There's a case report of a person with long-haul COVID that within five weeks it was completely resolved. They, she was back to work. Parkinson's disease, autoimmune disease, depression, restless leg syndrome, COPD, lots of different peripheral neuropathies, and erectile dysfunction. Now, when I read those first four papers, I had to sit and chuckle. 
because I could just visualize this huge clinic with like 50 beds and busloads of people coming up to get their, to get their erectile dysfunction treated. <laughs> I thought that would be like the coolest thing. So these two studies here, I just want to go by really quick, is that in this, because when I read this first study that was done in 2008, I didn't know whether to, to, la to cry or shoot somebody. And what that study was that they took 50 patients that had had a stroke, and they divided them into half. And 25 of those people, they put on the ECP beds right after they'd had the stroke, within a matter of days, and they treated them daily for seven weeks. Their control group was they didn't start doing the ECP until week 17 to week 14. When they looked at the data, the people who had, had got on there early had a favorable, 100% of those people had improvement. And even the people that delayed and didn't get on for two months later, they had a 76%. 76% of those people had improvement. That was done, in, we've known that since 2008. And as a physician, it made me really angry and sad because as an ER doc, I saw a lot of people coming in with strokes, you know? I saw a lot of that. How many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people since 2008 have had strokes that are confined to wheelchairs, that can't wipe their own butt, can't brush their own teeth, can't even get on and off the bathroom on their own, that if they could have gotten on these beds early on, I mean, our nursing homes are filled with people with strokes that if they would have been treated with this passive technology, they've known this since 2008, and they haven't done anything with it. Like I said, I didn't know whether to, to, to cry or to, to, or to shoot somebody. This study down here, the same thing. This was another one that was done in 2013. Similar outcomes. So what can this do? So the reason I think this slide is important is that if all of these things that are listed up here, it's an assisted circulation technique with with profound evidence for the prevention and management of multiple comorbidities of the elderly population. And who were you saying that was the most susceptible to COVID? The ones with comorbidities. What if we could use this bed to fix their comorbidities and make them even not be susceptible to that? Angina, heart failure, ischemic vascular disease, strokes, neurodegenerative diseases, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, sleep disorders, diabetes. The diabetes results have just been staggering. How much better that the pancreas starts to work? Sudden hearing loss, psychological and psychiatric conditions. Now, if that helps the elderly, it's going to help every other age group too. And it's going to help people that aren't even really sick, but they want to get better. They want to feel better. They want to, have a, they want to do it in terms of prevention to make themselves healthier overall. How long does it last? Well, this, this goes, they did a two-year study, three-year study, five-year study. And they said that at five years, going through 35 treatments of ECP, you have the same results as if you'd had a stint, but you don't have any complications and you're not on any medications. People say, once I've done this, do I have to keep doing it forever? So, well, you know, if you were fat and out of shape and you went to the gym and you lost a bunch of weight and you got in shape, would you then cancel your gym membership? Probably not. So would you want to continue to do this at least maybe once a month 
or once every, twice a month or once a week. Most of our patients in Cleveland, after they've gone through the 35 sessions, they'll take a break and then they'll come back like about a month later and they'll go, you know, I felt so much better when I was coming in here and doing this. Can I sign up for like an ongoing, we call it a membership program, that people can sign up to come in once a week or once every other week, once a month. And they're just, and we have this one lady, she comes in, she, she's just so happy. She calls, she says her day that she comes into the clinic is her spa day. It's like her best day that she comes in once a week. She can't wait to come and get on the bed. And she even has, you know, like I said, the scale is from like a one to a four. She even keeps it down at like a two. She goes, it doesn't have to be very high. I just love it. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> so she kind of does that. So I think that that's kind of important to know, that people continue to do this after they've had the benefit. Now, this is the slide that I was alluding to of why this has been thrown underneath the bus. Stents. Um, are little, they go in and do an angioplasty where they find a blockage, then they put a balloon in there, and they go in the angioplasty as the balloon crutches it, you know, dilates out that blockage, and then they put this thing in it called a stent, which is like a little coil to now keep the artery open. And national average cost of that is $32,200. That's the average. And the average cost for the stent placement on top of that is $75,000. Bypass surgery, the national average is $123,000. And that does not include hospital fees, post-op procedural care, cardiac rehab, physician's fees, anesthesia, the cost of tests, medications, and if you have any complications. And even people with the best surgeries, or I mean the best insurance, you're going to have co-pays and deductibles. And most people are going to pay ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at a minimum after either to get started. Even if your insurance may pay the rest of that. Now think about that for a minute. I'm the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic. I know that every person that comes in there with a with a with a with a blockage. I do a calcium score on them, they got a blockage, they're gonna get one of them big things and it's cha-ching, right? It's gonna be money in my bank. But what if I put them on one of those little beds? It's about five grand to go through 35 treatments that you don't have to have a stent, you don't have to have your chest cracked open, you don't have to have surgery and on thing, ongoing things, and you get better. You just get a whole lot better. Are there any contraindications? Just a couple. Uh, just a couple, pregnancy, fever, a palpable aortic aneurysm, atrial fibrillation that's too, too that's, it's uncontrolled so the machine can't read your heartbeat, um, uncontrolled hypertension, hemophiliacs, patients on Coumadin, and ECP cannot cause blood clots. It improves your circulation. And if you've had a blood clot, it helps to dissolve it because now you're getting circulation to go over and help to dissolve it. So these are, I, I want to go back for just a second. I want to tell a couple of stories because I've, I've got a few minutes left here on my timer. I think I'm going to have some of this coffee that he kindly brought me. We opened for business in Cleveland because oh, here's another story. <laughs> um, so I go to the, get the first session. I go look at all the medical literature. I go get the second session. I'm feeling a whole lot better. And the Lord says to me, you got to do something with this. Wait a minute. I got my life finally exactly the way I wanted. It's taken me five years to set up my podcast and my writing schedule. I remodeled my house. You know, it's got every, exactly like I wanted. So I go back and I read more medical literature. The Lord keeps telling me, you got to do something with this. You got to do something with this. 
I said, no, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity, but no, thank you, Lord. And I hear this, do you know who you're talking to? Um, Yeah. Um, How about if I say, uh, no, thank you, sir. Is that better? No. So it kept at me and at me and at me. And finally I said, all right, I'm going to play Gideon here. I want a sign that, you're, that this isn't just my magnificent brain coming up with something in my brain because I'm always doing creative things, right? So I'm going to play Gideon here. I'm going to be Gideon. And I'm going to say, show me a sign, Lord. I want a sign. And the sign that I want is you got to make the money show up. you got to make the real estate show up. you got to make the people show up. And it's got to be fun. I thought surely he would go away, you know? No. Within less than six weeks, the investors showed up. The real estate's just rolling in all across the country, like here in Ventura, how this all happened just spontaneously in Ventura. We've got lots of opportunities all across California to open up centers. We've got three opportunities in St. Louis. We're going to open 20 centers in Ohio. And the business plan calls for opening up 15 to 1,500 locations in the next five to seven years. And I said, all right, I'm in. Kind of like what I said, you know, I'm 1-1-2020. It's like, all right. So every time I get stressed out about this, because the plan is massive, and, and the business plan and the financials and the pro forma and everything, and I, you know, I, I just go, nope. Lord, you're gonna get, I'm going to give you all that stress, all of it. I just visualize myself sitting in the front passenger seat of a really nice car, like a really nice Mercedes or really nice, like an A8 or something like that. T- say, t- tossing the keys to Jesus and go, you drive. I'm not doing it. In fact, I'm going to take a nap. And I'm just going to, when you, when you call, stop the car on your timing and get us to where we need to be, give me a nudge and I'll wake up. And we should be doing that with all stressful things in our lives, actually. But it's been a good lesson for me to learn how to do it because I really do do it. Because it's really, this is all his project, all of it. Because he sees the need and he trusted me with this whole thing about this whole vaccine stuff that I've been doing for the last 20-some years. Because back in 2002, when I started digging into all the vaccine literature, I, I remember sitting up in my office late one night. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was, start, I was crying, just sobbing. And just going, God, why did you give me this to do? Why didn't you give me Tony Robbins, go team rah-rah? Nobody wants to hear this. It's hard. And, you know, everybody's all bought into this program. Why do you want me to do this? And it was one of those other few times in my life when I heard the Lord say to me out loud, because you're willing to do the work. There's nobody in the house, but I heard it. So 22 years later, I guess I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty good steward with things that he's assigned me to do. They sort of stayed the course. So it's probably why he kind of picked me out to do this one. I guess. I don't know. But I do, but really, truly, this is God's work. It's God's business. It's everything that's happened. The, the, the investors that I've met are some of the most godly people I've ever known in my life. And they're just so excited to get behind this because they know me by my reputation. And, and they, see, they see the vision. They see the need. And so they are, <clears throat> they're like, we're all in, Cherry. You know, the real estate stuff that's just kind of like rolling into our laps, it's just been, it's God's project. It's all about God's project. And that's why we're doing, why I'm doing this. So that's kind of what it looks like, our center here in Ventura. That's one of our beds. We've got two other beds. We've got this wonderful massage chair upstairs that we're going to do that too. And we're hiring people. 
So if you've got a code, you got your, can put your thing up there on that QRS code. We are going to hire nurses and nurse, we're going to hire nurses and paramedics and we need a receptionist and probably a couple medical assistants. And I will tell you an interesting thing. You're talking about good news in California. Well, this is the good news in California. Let me tell you the bad news in California. <clears throat> so 12 lawyers later, and I still cannot get a simple answer to a question. What is the scope of practice of people that I need to run these centers? Four nursing schools later, they don't know. The state of California, when you say, ask, they, you know, they got these new rules for nurse practitioners. They say it's messy. We don't know. Um, well, can an RN do this? Well, we don't know. We, we really don't know. So four nursing schools later, the state of California osteopathic school, the naturopathic school, they're a little bit more helpful, but there, apparently there's not a single, with the new law that just got passed, the nurse practitioner law, there's not a single nurse practitioner in the state of California that qualifies to the new laws in the state of California that regulate nurse practitioners. <clears throat> if you've been a nurse practitioner and doing your job for 20 years, um, you now have to do a two-year apprenticeship with a doctor in a clinic. You have to do 42 hours worth of work with them. And then, and only then, are, can you go out on your own and just open an urgent med, an urgent care. Even if you've been doing it for 20 years. The State of California Medical Association out here is rabid. And they don't want any competition, even though by their own numbers, they need 4,100 more primary care providers in the state of California. They're not allowing nurse practitioners to do what they can do on their own in Ohio, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and, six, and 16 other states. And the same thing with the naturopaths. So we're kind of figuring out a way to work around that. But just so you know, we are hiring. And so if you've got somebody that you know, that, so we're just going to plow ahead. I'm going to write down all of these things, all these phone calls with the lawyers and the, the medical schools and all this other stuff, and just document everything down and say, if we, and we're going to hire who we want to hire, and if it, and it, down the road, if somebody comes and questions us, we're going to say, here's this notarized piece of paper of all the ways that we tried to get the right answers that nobody could give us, so this is why we're doing what we're doing. So anybody that's got friends, family members, or whatever, because we're going to be rolling these out in California, we need to start seeing some resumes. <clears throat> and so this is what, we, what we're doing and why. And I want to just tell you one, two, two quick little stories, because I still got 10 minutes up here and I won't take the whole time. But in, since we opened our clinic, um, we proved the smallest model ever. <laughs> you know, where my, where my clinic is, the 10 Penny Integrated Medical Center, is here, and four doors down, there was this space that had been empty. It's another God thing, right? That space had been empty for seven years. And it's a 1,000 square feet, and we squeezed in five beds. And like when, with Kevin, our contractor, he and I were going in there at night and like moving the lines on the floor like by an inch <laughs> to just kind of like make it all work. And we, opened for, we went in there on May the 12th, and we opened for business on July the 19th. And virtual, if anybody's ever tried to open a business before, yeah, it's kind of a virtual impossibility. It was a God thing, right? And since July the 19th, so a little over seven months, we've, uh, we've seen over 300, I believe, unique patients. And the coolest part of that is that 52% of them have come from out of state. 
So we know that the need is there. We know that the demand is there. And it's, what, it's when God's going to put the engine to it and it's going to make it happen. And I want to tell you two quick stories because they're really pretty cool stories. And they've done commercials for us, radio commercial spots. One is a guy named Kenny who used to work for, he's a, a guitar player. He used to play for Journey. And he had two heart attacks and he's had multiple stents, I believe. And he came up from Virginia and was kind of living on nitroglycerin because he had so much chest pain. And when his doc, he told his cardiologist he was coming to Cleveland to do this ECP treatment, the cardiologist said, I didn't even know those things were around anymore. They don't even have them in, in, anywhere anymore because they're so loud, they sound like jet engines. So Kenny was kind of expecting to sound like a chet. And so it, for it to, and it sounds like tutunk, tutunk, tutunk. So he took, video, he took a recording of it and sent it to his cardiologist. By the time um, Kenny went through his 35 treatments, he's off most of his nitroglycerin. He's now can walk miles with no chest pain. He's off of most of his medications. While he was still in Cleveland, he, he was staying with some friends, and they took a day trip to, the, to Niagara Falls. He walked around all the exhibits all day long, and previously he could go about 30 yards with having, without having to sit down and have horrible chest pain. Then we had another guy that came from Arizona. He used to be an over-the-road truck driver, and he had horrible chest pain. And I think, I don't know, where, where's Bethany? Is Bethany in here somewhere? No? What? Oh, is that Kayla? Oh, oh, Patricia. So you wouldn't know the story then. I think he had an implantable defibrillator too. And he and his wife, he couldn't walk from here to you without stopping down three times because of the horrible crushing chest pain he had. So he and his wife uh, got in a car and drove from Tucson, Arizona to Cleveland, Ohio. Stayed for three weeks, went through 30 treatments, and by the time he went back, he could walk all the way around a reservoir an hour and a half and do an hour and a half of virtual kickboxing every day. He went to his cardiologist who took him off of all of his medications and says, you don't need any of these. And he even had an implantable pacemaker or maybe a, de a plantable defibrillator. So, these are, so this is the stuff, thank you, but I could stand here another hour and tell you story after story like that. And to me, that's the part that's fun, is to see these people who've been told there's nothing else that can be done to start treating this myocarditis in people that have been vaccine injured, because the myocarditis is kind of like a mild form of congestive heart failure, and we know that this has been you know, FDA approved for that for a long, long time, and to have all these other things sort of fall in place, which is just a God project. But the fun part, remember I said it had to be the money, the real estate, the people, and the fun? The fun is the tremendous results that we're seeing people get by going through these programs. So I'm grateful to have an opportunity to tell you about ECP, share with you a little bit my story of you know God's work in my life and how he's making that be available. It's all God's project, really, seriously it is. And that um, I hope that um, you'll come down on Saturday on Saturday morning, it's uh, from 9 to 2. <clears throat> We're just going to have a, kind of an open house and kind of show you what the clinic looks like. It's being painted right now. we got some new electrical and stuff that's going inside of it. And this is the start. This is, you know, I don't know if you guys know the story of Starbucks. But, you know, when they, their, first, their first three um, offices, their first three Starbucks locations was in the Seattle area. The fourth one they did was in Chicago. So sort of like me opening one in Cleveland and then, California, right? I mean, certainly it would be smarter to do those other things, but again, it's kind of a God project thing. So I want to thank you all for your attention. Thank you for coming out tonight. I know we're going to do a question and answer sort of thing up here now.
You hold that. Oh, I've got to keep it? Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Let's put this so you can have a place to put your coffee if you want to. I'm going to drink this. I know. All right. All right. Well, we have, uh, if you want to text a question in, uh, her presentation was so thorough. Most of your questions were uh, answered already. But the first thing I would be thinking if I was in that situation is, will my insurance cover this? We're, we're totally, we're, Anybody yes. have that thought? <clears throat> yes, but we're totally cash-based. Okay. And the reason for that, and, and you, uh, that we actually have a, uh, is because if we are ever going to have an alternative healthcare system in this country, we have got to get off of our dependence on insurance. A hundred percent, that has got to stop. You know, if you go and you get your car serviced, you don't expect your car insurance to pay for it. Right. You go, you know, all the different things that have to happen in life. And we have gotten the horrible healthcare system that we've gotten today because of the insurance industry. Yeah. This used to be paid for by insurance. But here's what happens with insurance and why cardiologists don't use it. Number one, um, it's about $150 an hour is what the treatment is. And it, Medicare was reimbursing 26 bucks. Number two, if you don't put angina pectoris as the number one treatment thing on your billing code, if you put atrial fib, hypertension, angina, insurance pays for none of it. And insurance will dictate how many treatments they think you should have, not how many that you really need. And so I, my practice and clinic that I've had in Cleveland, Ohio since 1996 has always been cash-based. We've never participated in any insurance company. We've never participated in Medicare, Medicaid, Champus, any of that stuff. And we are super busy. Because, and now more than ever, people want to get what they want to have. And we actually have a payment program plan that it's about $4,800 for 35 treatments. And you can do two a day or one a day. And you, there's a, a payment plan that you can get that is a one-year savings cash zero-interest loan. Mm -hmm. So you can spread your payments out over the course of the year. Um, but I really believe that this treatment is going to be one of the cornerstone treatments because it treats everything. Yeah. You know, going forward, everybody, every place I go, every stage I've spoken on, all the places, we need a new healthcare system. What people want is they want what they still have and they just want it to work better, which is never going to happen. Yeah. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. It annoys the pig and doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. You know, so, so it's just something that people have got to start getting their head around that if we're ever going to get out of this nasty mess that we're in, we've got to get away from our total dependency on health insurance. All right. Thank you. That was uh, a great question, by the way. Um, so they can put it as close together as two a day because you said the, the truck driver got 30 in two weeks. I mean, that, three weeks or three weeks. Okay. Yeah. He can't, he can't, you know, we do two, you, most people, the, the, in the met published medical literature, it's one a day, five days a week for seven weeks. Okay. When people come from out of town, you can do two a day with like one hour in between, or you can have like a little break, like a half an hour in between. And one of the reasons that you know that it actually is working is probably most of the patients that have 
health issues. When they get on the bed about halfway through that hour, they've got to get up and pee. Yeah. Because it's squeezing all that extra fluid out of them, and it's making their kidneys work better, yeah. and it's getting the fluid out of their legs, and it's making their, their um, uh, ejection fraction work better. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and what ends up happening is sometimes the really sick people, we've got, they're getting off the bed a couple times. Yeah. And then as the treatments go on, they get off, instead of four times, it's three, and then two, and then one, and then they can sustain the whole treatment. But by then, they've got, you know, what, what the guy from California, uh, the Tucson had said, was he said, I felt at about the 18th treatment, like suddenly I had a new heart. Like something had flipped in my chest that I had a brand new heart and I could walk and I wasn't short of breath anymore and all of that. So it's a really important, it's, it really does switch things out. Now, <clears throat> when people come to Cleveland, which most people out in California probably wouldn't know this, but one of the, the, one of the um, main primary industries for Cleveland, particularly in the summer, the third most highest um, industry is tourism. People come to Cleveland because they've got, you know, the, the Lake Erie Islands that are there. They got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They got, you know, all kinds of different things. And so people would come. We had two couples that came last summer from northern Michigan, and they came for two weeks. And both the husband and the wife, two of them, so there's four of them all together, they had their first treatment at 7 to 8. And then they had their second treatment from 9 to 10. And then they went to Amish country. They went to wine country. They went over to Lake Erie Islands. They went to Niagara Falls. They did, did all of these sorts of things. And so if you're not sick, you know, you're not infirm. Mm -hmm. And this is just continuing to get you better. And they said they, they had such a good time, they're going to come back next summer and do the same thing. <laughs> So one of the ways that we're going to... I gonna always vacation in Cleveland. I, I don't know about United States. Well, it's why we're going to open these all over the place. <laughs> and we've actually already had inquiries from, from um, Nassau, mm -hmm. from Ecuador, um, from a couple of places in, South, in Central America, because it's, it's needed everywhere. I mean, it really super is. Is there an emergency? Oh, it's an it's Amber, Amber Alert. Amber okay. Alert. Um, so <clears throat> one of the expansion plans that we have, I have 13 different expansion plans inside of the business plan, and one of them is medical tourism to actually open these up in oh, really they, oh, yeah. nice places oh, like idea. Nassau, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, like the island, like Nassau, like St. Thomas, right. like, you know, really nice places in, up in the mountains or whatever, and have a couple of Airbnbs around yeah. that center and have it be a medical tourism destination that you that's can great. come and get better while you really are going to someplace nicer than Cleveland. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. Um, so if... The problems with the vaccine in general, could you share with us, Dr. Tenpenny, there's some people here, they have Moderna, they have Pfizer, they have Johnson & Johnson. Is there a difference in um, the mRNA, well, I mean, the, the, the uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson is... Off the market. Oh, it is? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Can, can you give a brief... Uh, AstraZeneca is off the market in Europe. Okay. Because of the massive amount of blood clots it was causing. Okay. Okay, so they're really pretty much the same. I would say, and, and the reason I say that is because we still, they're still issued under in the EUA, and we still don't have a, an official package insert. Every other vaccine, that's why we don't call them vaccines and why we call them jabs or shots or stuff like that, because we don't really know what's in them. I mean, you pull out the package insert, and this big white piece of paper, it says in the front, in the middle of it, intentionally left blank. You know, and, and as long as it's still issued under an EUA, the drug companies can't be sued. And you can change up to 49% of the ingredients in that batch and not have to tell anybody. Wow. 
And that's why I say, particularly with Moderna, because when I read the, the patent, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the Moderna patent when it first came out, you know, the end of 2020, I mean, there's like 86 different or so things in there. It says, and this rendition has this, and this rendition has this, and this rendition has that. And I talked to Tom Renz, you know, our, our attorney, and I said, are they doing this because this is sort of, um, if they cover all their bases, nobody can, re can replicate the shot because they would scream patent infringement? Or are they kind of telling us that these are all the different versions of these shots that they're going to put out? He said, probably both. And the, the different, and we know that the that it, that the the, um, the um, formulations have changed, because early on, if you remember, there was all the anaphylactic shock. They wanted to have crash carts in all the centers where they were, were administering the, the things. We don't hear that so much anymore. We don't hear as much in terms of the massive blood clots in the head they called VITT. We don't really see that so much anymore. We know from German data that they went through and tested all the lot numbers and that some of the lots had big spikes in the number of side effects and other ones didn't. Now, if you were the good guys, those ones that had the big spikes, you'd say, well, we don't want to use that lot number anymore. If you're the bad guys, they're going to say, we want to use that one all the time. But the point is, is that D you know, different people have probably gotten different formulations, and that's why different people have different side effects, and why some people, for all intents and purposes, maybe feel like or look like they haven't, at least at this point in time, because it's going to take another two to five years before we look at the autoimmune disease that'll be coming out of these things. And so a lot of people that feel like they maybe didn't, maybe they missed the, missed the they dodged a bullet, they might have. They may have had either, I don't really think that any of them are placebo, but I know that some of them probably have more toxic ingredients than others. And some of it's based on body weight. And so, but they're, they're all, all messenger RNA shots. And the thing about the messenger RNA, you know, with the, with the spike, with the messenger RNA, our body makes messenger RNA all the time. I mean, our DNA, you know, if you cut yourself or you've had surgery, um, let's say you, you, cut, you, had, you had a big cut on your leg. Your DNA in your leg would go, we need some protein over there to, to fix that. We need to, like, do that. So it starts sending out some messenger RNA that will go over to the ribosomes and code for a protein to heal that cut or to heal the surgery. The thing is, is that messenger RNA, if you think about it, it's like the messenger RNA, it's like a, it's got a recipe on the front of it. And it takes it over to the factory called the ribosomes, and it reads that recipe and makes that protein. And once it runs down the conveyor belt once, it stops working. It, you know, it just does it once. And so your body has to keep putting out messenger RNA enough times to heal that cut. Well, the messenger RNA in the shots is synthetically made. So the very last thing on the messenger RNA, they call, it's put together by what's called nucleic acids. And the very last nucleic acid synthetically made in the laboratory, they, put, they switched out it and they put in something called pseudouridyl. And that pseudouridyl on the end of it means that it will never be degraded. So it goes through the factory and recycles. It goes through the factory and it recycles. And it goes through the factory and they've now seen in autopsy reports that it continues to replicate and make abnormal, weird spike proteins off of the coronavirus for at least 17 months. So that's why if people have gotten the shot, it doesn't just go in and go out. And we know it doesn't stay in the arm. It goes to other places in your body. 
And so that's, that's the biggest problem with the synthetically made was that, is that pseudouridyl, and that's part of every one of those patents that I've read. Which, just to summarize, you, you said your natural uh, mRNA, it goes through once and it's done. Right. It's a one and done, but this just continues. Keep, it keeps, re keeps recycling. Uh -huh. And that's why, you know, it's the synthetically made right. because they switched out the uridyl on the end, <clears throat> which is a name of a particular nucleic acid, they call it uridyl, mm -hmm. and they put a synthetic one in there called pseudouridyl, so it just keeps making it over and wow. making spike protein over and over again. You know, a lot of people ask the question, what can I, you know, I made a mistake. I really shouldn't have gotten this shot. What can I do to detox this from my system? Well, you can always get healthier. And we've read some, some information that, you know, EDTA is a type of chelating agent that helps to get out the graphene oxide and it make a breakdown on the hydrogel. Um, but because we don't really know what's in there, we know there's polyethylene glycol, we know that there's lipo nanoparticles, we know that there may be micro nanobots, in, at least in some of them. Well, I, I don't know any way to get that stuff out. And, you know, as long as I've been talking about vaccine-related stuff, stuff since September of 2000, you know, I've always said you can vaccinate, but you can't unvaccinate. And it's really true with these, too, that once you vaccinate and you push that stuff into your system, it's not like you can put a little needle in and suck it back out. Right. And you can't really get it. And even if you get out the particulate matter that's in the shots, what happens with this spike proteins? And two articles just came out in the last week that talked about that now they know, which I talked about in 2001, that the spike protein does can get into your DNA and permanently change your DNA, which is your God-given genetics, which is your fingerprint that comes from the Lord. Yeah. You know, your mommy and your daddy came together and God said, let there be light. Yeah. And there's never another one of you before or after. And these shots go in and break those genetic bonds. Wow, unbelievable. It is pure evil. Yeah. It's pure evil. You mentioned it in this question, uh, people that get vaccinated, like you said, hey, we dodged a bullet. Two to five years, we expect to see a increase in autoimmune and cancer. Those are the two things I've heard. Is there- well, Cancer's going on right now. Like a fast reactive to this. Yes, right? and the people that are getting diagnosed with cancer are younger and younger and highly aggressive lymphomas and leukemias that they get diagnosed on Monday and they're dead on Friday. Highly aggressive. I just read a, an article today that had like seven or eight reports of young people, like teenagers, that um, literally were diagnosed on Monday and by Friday they had died. And these rapidly, the, like breast cancer, prostate cancer, uterine cancer for sure, um, you know, but really strange, that there's a type of leukemia, it's called, it's, called, it's called hairy cell leukemia, which used to be really rare, now we're seeing it a lot. And so these blood cancers, because what we're doing is we're messing, messing up the, the blood, blood yeah. you know? And so the cancer rate's going through the roof. The heart attacks and the strokes and all of those things, which we talked about in my presentation. But, you know, that, that spike protein that's in your system, that's a foreign protein. And it doesn't matter what kind of foreign protein you have in your body, your body wants to get rid of it. Even it's like a splinter in your finger and something that's foreign there. And it wants to get rid of it. And so in order to get rid of it, it makes an antibody to that, like that spike protein. Because it's like, if this, if this microphone was the spike protein, and I make this antibody to the spike protein to neutralize it, then I can make it go away. The problem is, is that once you sensitize your B cells in your body to make antibodies, they continue to make them over and over again. And so it doesn't ever stop.
And if you get exposed to just garden variety coronaviruses, which we know every year about 25 to 30 percent of influenza-like illness is garden variety coronaviruses that have been around for 60 years, that stimulates your body to make more antibodies from your B cells. <clears throat> and then your antibodies, if there's no spike protein floating around, that antibody goes, huh, wonder what else I can do. Oh, well, look at that little amino acid sequence over on that pancreas. I'm going to go and attack that or I'm going to attack your kidney, or your brain, or your lungs. And that's a process called molecular mimicry, that that antibody starts to attack your own body, and that's autoimmune disease. And that takes a while. And I remember when this very first started, there was a really important paper that came out um, probably late in 2020. I actually called up the immunologist, the main researcher, and talked to him. And I said, because what they had done is they'd taken 55 tissue types, different tissue types in your body, and they put them in these like little test tubes. And then they took the antibodies to the spike proteins and they dropped them in each one of those test tubes. And those antibodies attacked, I believe if I remember the number correctly, something like 38 out of 55 of those tissues. So it was like, wow, so that means, I mean, so that's one of the reasons why a hundred people can get the shot and have a hundred different symptoms because that antibody may attack your lung and your kidney and your knee and your brain. And so the doctors go, well, it can't be the shot or it'd all be the same thing. Yeah. It's because they don't read. And so when I called that researcher and I said, man, if 38 out of 55 different tissue types are going to be Caught, you're going to see autoimmune with that. He said, man, in the next 10 years, Sherry, so I'm telling you what, we're going to see autoimmune disease unlike anything we've ever seen on this planet. So I've been saying, saying it's good, we're going to see this big tsunami of deaths, all the, the acute deaths, the things that now we've got the SADS deaths, the people just dropping over dead, and now we've got all the heart attacks and strokes, and the autoimmune stuff is going to come later. This is the most, you know, you said in your slide about this is the, the worst evil since Hitler. This is 10 times worse than Hitler. Right. Because this is everybody. This is pregnant women. This is babies. This is infants and children and teenagers and elderly and, uh, and people that can't speak for themselves. This is the worst evil that has ever, you know, when this first started, you know, I said, wow. I remember in March of 20, when I saw the television stuff, you know, I was like, whew, this is Satan's last hurrah, man. Yeah. He's wanting to, you know, we, we Christians better get busy. Yeah, right. And what did they do instead? Shut down the church, didn't let you pray, didn't get together and congregate, but we'll have a shot clinic on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, it's what happened, not here, but, you know, you know yeah, across yeah. the country, right? Absolutely. This is Satan's, these evil people that are known, they, that want to move people into chronic illness, the transhumanism movement, they want to depopulate the planet, they want to make sure that the young people don't have babies to fill the pot back up. Yeah. Um, this is the worst satanic forces that we've ever seen. And I said, wow, this is Satan's last hurrah. I mean, he's, he's going to be working 24-7 to get as many people into his kingdom. Yeah. We better ramp it up here, church. Amen. 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 We're out of time. Let's have some short answers if you have them for, I don't know what the questions we're going to try to yeah. get a few of these done. How do we address friends and family who ridicule the unvaccinated and now regret getting vaccinated? Pray with them. There you go. All right, next question. Moving on. I have several friends who are receiving treatment for various cancers. Are cancer treatments... Uh, 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 yeah, thank you. 
Are they uh, for the uh, ECP, it, it, does it help with your, your new treatment? You can treat, you can treat people that yeah. have active cancer with ECP, and it helps their circulation. It is not a contraindication. Okay. Um, ED meds can blow out the optic nerve and cause total and permanent blindness. This happened to a man in Thousand Oaks. Are we certain there's no chance uh, ECP, I think, would do this also? There's no chance that there's never been any reported cases of any of that. Never reported. In the me medical literature all the way back to 1953. Yeah. I want my optic nerve. I want my optic right nerve too. Do we know if it's uh, safe for a vaccinated person to get a transfusion with vaccinated blood? Oh boy, that's, do we, do we have enough time to talk about no, that? Uh, <laughs> brief, you can just say no. No. <laughs> no, and, and just, but I do want to address that, because, okay. just briefly, I mean, because I would say that since I've been doing all of these talks since what, the middle of March of middle of 2020, I would say that almost every time I've given a talk on the radio or anywhere, one of the questions that always comes up is, "What about our blood supply?" Mm -hmm. And I've always found it kind of interesting because nobody questioned the quality of the blood supply before, when maybe they should have, <laughs> you know. And um, but we do know there are isolated case reports of people that children for sure that got vaccinated blood and had horrible side effects mm. just horrible and i know that there's um there's a new organization i just did a podcast with her day before yesterday it's called blessed by his blood blessed by his blood.com that right now that they're setting up an organization that's right now the way that it's set up it's sort of like a kind of like a match.com kind of okay. like if you needed blood yeah and you, you were unvaccinated and you wanted an unvaccinated donor and you had an A negative blood, um, she in her database would go out and look for people that were in this area that had A negative blood, that then they, you could get a prescription from the doctor and they could go do autologous donating so that I could, if I've got A negative blood, I could donate it and donate it specifically to you. Yeah. So for she's, surgery coming up. For surgery that. coming up, because yeah. you can't bank your blood maybe 90 days, maybe 60 days. So if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to have a surgery that you might need some blood, you can bank your own blood, you know, for that surgery. But, you, but people in their mind, what they want to be able to do is I want to bank my blood so if five years from now I'm in a car accident, I need to get my blood. And it just doesn't work that it way. It only lasts how long? Did you About say? About 90 days, maybe that's, 60 days. But to, it depends on what blood components you're talking about. Red, red blood cells lack, lack a little, last a little longer than plasma and last a little longer than whole blood. And there's all kinds of rules about that. Okay. So, so, wait, wait, just one last thing. So it's not safe. It's not safe. This is one more area of evil of what we have done to contaminate our blood supply that is a life-saving thing for people that need transfusions. Wow. Um, i got one that kicked in here. Uh, does COVID itself cause myocarditis? Doctors have told my friend that COVID causes it and not the vax. <laughs> yes, there's those, those wise doctors again, right? Yeah. Um, COVID can cause, when COVID was around, COVID doesn't even exist anymore. Um, seriously, yes, it's, it's gone. It's, gone. it's been variations. gone for at least, an, at least a year. So at that point in time, did, did, could the, the coronavirus itself cause myocarditis? Yes, it had spike proteins on it. Mm -hmm. But that's been gone for a year, year and a half. What's left is people getting their boosters. Right. So the doctors who say, no, it can't be the shots, it's like, you know, 
Dr. Perplexed, you know? <laughs> Dr. Perplexed, we don't know what causes it. When does the Ventura location officially open? It is open. Oh, it is open. It this, is open. This is the grand opening. This is the grand opening. Now, don't harm each other trying to race there, because <laughs> I know that right now some of you are just like, I'm signed up, I'm in the queue. What is the difference between the vaccine spike protein and getting the spike protein from COVID illness and the damage either can do? What's the difference? Um, there, we don't know. Okay. We don't know the answer to that because who's doing the research? Who's want, who wants to fund that? Mm -hmm. Like nobody, because yeah. they don't care. They don't really care. So we don't really know the answer. It's spike protein is spike protein. And here's the other thing that's interesting about that and why people who say, I've got this technology or I've got this... Um, this um, tea or potion or something like that that's going to get your, your spike proteins out of your body? How do they know? There is no commercially available test for spike protein. So you can't go to, to Quest and get a blood test to say, what's my level of spike protein? Mm -hmm. And even if you could measure that, you're not going to know how much is actually embedded in the tissues. There's no urine test, stool test, blood test for spike protein. So you can't get a level and then do a treatment and see if it got better. It's all anecdotal, and the FDA's not going to put up with that. Yes. So the average cost I got from what you said for the treatment is about 150 per treatment, yep. 5,000 for 35 treatments. Yep, we give a discount. There's a yep. discounted rate for that. Right. And so uh, that's one of the questions. And then once your heart or condition is cured by treatment, can it revert, and you mentioned this, back without continued treatment? Um, I don't know that your heart condition is going to revert back, but your overall health condition as time goes on, I mean, we, we get older and it does kind of go like this. And if you've had damage to your heart, your lungs, your kidneys or whatever, you know, if you don't have that increased perfusion over time, you will see it get better. But I'm telling there's five years. I showed you that one slide, though, that said five years out, which is as long as I could find, you still had gained as much benefit. 88% of the people, what you had gained lasted five years. Wow. It's okay. impressive. Um, it is impressive. That's why it's so exciting because it's, it's like just been thrown underneath the bus because of money. That's right. Future generations. Does the shot effect get passed on to yes. future babies? Yes. Yeah. We've already seen it. We know it happens. You know, the studies that I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a WhatsApp group. No, it's a, it's a signal group with a bunch of OB-GYNs that are looking at oh, all of the horrific stuff that's happening to, like, like Jim Thorpe and, you know, a bunch of people. There's about 17 of us or so in that group that are looking to the horrible stuff that's happening with placentas, babies that are having heart attacks in utero, you know, third trimester um, miscarriages. They call it early fetal demise, that babies just die suddenly for no reason. Third trimester. Um, I, Chris Northrup, Christine Northrup is a good friend of mine. She's one of the five docs, you know, and I know Jim Thorpe and, and both of them have said, you know, cause Jim's probably, Jim's probably in his mid sixties. Chris is about the same. They said in all of their 30 years of delivering babies, that was, you know, as an OB-GYN, they might see maybe one or two early third trimester fetal demise for no apparent reason in, in their career. Now they're seeing 10 or 20 a week, and they're seeing more than that in a month. Nurses are now that, that are in IC, they're seeing 10, 20, 30 a month. 
and nurses now that are working in intensive, you know, pediatric intensive care or in neonatal intensive care or in, in you know, the babies that are born prematurely, they're now, they're, they just can't live with themselves anymore. And there's more and more whistleblowers of nurses that are coming out from the things that they're seeing because there is no way, no reason on this planet any pregnant women should get that shot. None. There's no reason for it. And there's no reason why we should be giving this to six-month-olds and two-year-olds and five-year-olds. There's no a single reason a child should get this shot at all. And I, I would say anybody that's here listening to this, if you know anybody, any friends and family member that want to give their kids these COVID shots, lay your life down on the line for those kids and not care who you offend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to, you know... You have got to lay your life down for these kids and not care who you make mad or offend. If it's your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, or whatever, you've got to stand in the gap for those children. Amen. Last question. Is ECP safe for teenagers and young children? What is the age limit? There's no age limit, but it's, there's a weight limit. That the way the, the beds are designed right now, it starts at about 100 pounds. Okay. And it's because of the size of the wraps. Mm-hmm. We're going to be working with one of the manufacturers to get some smaller wraps because of what's happened with these kids. It will probably never be available for like infants. Um, I don't think they'd lay still through it, you know, yeah. but, but we want it. We're going to be getting some smaller wraps. But right now, it's not an age limit, it's a weight limit. So if you've got a teenager, you know, that's 100 or know somebody that's 100 pounds, we could get them on the bed. Wonderful. Dr. Tenpenny, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so, so much. So great to have you with thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks thank for you, coming, everybody. everybody. Thank you. Come on Saturday, starting from 9 to 2, <laughs> and you can pick up the flyers out there at the table. Dr. Tenpenny. And, and what are we going to do in, on that Saturday ooh, when you come down is we're going to put people on the bed. So you'll get a 10-minute demonstration. You won't get a full hour just because we want to have How people How many beds are you going to have at this We have uh, two center, two right now, and we're soon to have a third. Okay. So, and then the center can probably accommodate five. Okay. So, but right now we've got two, so we'll put people on the beds so you can get a feel. You know what it feels like, and you can share it and tell your family and friends. And so um, come on down. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a ribbon-cutting thing. They're actually, the mayor is going to do a ribbon-cutting thing for us. Awesome. That's so really pretty cool. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy.